Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be demonic unity. Let's begin today in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, beginning in the 51st verse, it says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In verse 57, we saw that they were in one accord. Although there's power in unity and being in one accord, power can go both ways. It could be used for right or it could be used for wrong. Power is only as good as the one who wields it. Being in one accord isn't something natural, whether good or bad. It's something supernatural. Man doesn't have it within him to unify so comprehensively. There's too many differing wills, too much strife, too many differences, too many viewpoints. This has to be the work of an influencing spirit. It's either the Holy Spirit and its good manifestation, or the influence of demonic, evil spirits and its evil manifestation. If someone has bad intentions, operating with malicious purposes, power can become a destructive force, instead of the life-giving force it's meant to be. Today there's a malicious enemy that seeks to use power in the wrong way. That's the devil, and he uses every weapon at his disposal, including being in one accord, with the same intent to steal, kill, and destroy the same intent that he's always had and always will have. He's bringing an evil unity upon people, and he does that through oppression and possession. It's a demonically inspired unity. This is another manifestation of the spirit of inversion that we spoke about last week. The reason why the devil operates in inversion is because of his limited ability. God is the creator. God alone has the power to create something out of nothing. The devil doesn't have that ability. He can't create anything new. So he's limited to taking what already exists and changing it. His only option is to invert what's already there. He makes good evil. If he tried to just use good, leaving it the way it was, the result would still be good, which he doesn't want. So he instead inverts it into evil, by which he's able to further his purposes. He does this with whatever he's able to, both in the natural and the supernatural. Inversion is more powerful of a technique in the spiritual than it is in the natural which is why he inverts the word of God and any spiritual reality that he's able to distort to his liking. The twisting and inverting of being in one accord is just one of the many manifestations of this, but it's important to know his mode of operation and his ways of attacking so that when we come across them, we're familiar with them. Knowing the enemy's plans render them ineffective. We find three examples of this that stand out in the book of Acts. The first one we find in verse 57. It said, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. This is an interesting verse. They were in one accord, 
They had the same mind, the same purpose, the same desire and intention, but it was for evil. The enemy was using them as his vessels. When being in one accord is brought about by God, for at the book of Acts, we find salvations, deliverances, healings, wonders, praise and worship being the fruits of it. But here we find rage and wrath and death being the effect of it, because that's all that the devil has. There's a lot in this verse to unpack. The first thing that we have to note is that this wasn't a natural or rational response. Even if the people were extremely angry, this is still an odd response. They were screaming and stopping their ears. These were grown men, but this is behavior you find common amongst children. Why would they respond that way? Any rational person knows screaming and pretending that you can't hear wouldn't make any difference in a situation like that. But the devil doesn't want you to think or act rational. He wants you to be impulsive. He wants you to act without thinking. He wants you to follow your feelings. On top of all of that, they gnashed on him with their teeth. That's animalistic behavior. That's definitely not natural. The word in Greek for cried out means to scream, cry out, shriek. The concordance goes further to say that it means a term for a raven's piercing cry to cry out with an urgent scream or shriek using inarticulate shouts that express deep emotion. This is very telling. Stopping of the ears had to do with being seized and afflicted with a sickness in the Greek. This wasn't just a natural stopping of the ears. This was something much deeper. That's only reaffirmed by the word for ear. It's not referring to the natural ears. In the Greek, it's the ear, singular. That's referring to the spiritual ear that we all have within us. And it's also referring to the faculty of perception. So what really happened here? These people allowed the devil to oppress them. They didn't resist him. They welcomed the influence. And the devil led them to try to stop their spiritual ear. But why would he do that? The spiritual ear is how you hear the voice of God speaking to you. It's how you discern your conscience warning you. It's how you discern your intuition. If he could stop that, he could get you to do his bidding with little to no resistance. Then we see the effect of his influence. They didn't talk things out or reason with each other. They didn't have a debate or let Stephen state his case. They just had a wild, unnatural scream. The type of scream that a raven has. There's nothing human, nothing natural about that. That's a spirit manifesting itself through a person. That's a dark reality, but it's true. You find that to be common when a person is demon-possessed. They normally have an unnatural, inarticulate scream or shriek. That's not them screaming, it's the demon inside of them screaming. It's a manifestation of the total chaos and disruption happening within the man's spirit. It's the demon's reaction to truth and the word of God. They can't handle it, they can't accept it, and the result is an unnatural, chaotic reaction. If you need any more proof that this unity amongst the men wasn't natural, but was demonically inspired, you can find it in the phrase, ran upon him. The word simply means to run violently. But the same word is the word used of the herd of swine that was possessed by demons. In Matthew 8 and 32, referring to the same demons, it says, And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. That's not a natural reaction for swine. They obviously don't normally drown themselves, nor is it a natural unity for swine. They don't normally all do the same thing at once, especially something that's clearly self-destructive. That's being in one accord, under the influence of the devil. That's what it looks like. This is just one more example also of how the devil uses you for his purposes and then discards you when he's done with you. 
Some people have fallen for the lie that the devil cares about them, and he may make you think that for a short time or a season, but when you cease being useful to him, he destroys you. Not always physically, it's far more common that he does so mentally or spiritually or financially or emotionally. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, beginning in the 28th verse, it says, And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having called Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in under the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were with his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried out one thing, and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice, about the space of two hours, cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. We find here again another example of being in one accord for the influence of the devil. Verse 29 said, And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. We find all the same things in this encounter. We find that they rushed, which is the same word as before. This word is only used in Acts 7.57, which we just looked at, three times in the Gospels, each time referring to the herd of swine, and then this time. These are its only occurrences, which implies that it's referring to a rushing and a violence that's demonically inspired. This is the same thing as when the men rushed upon Stephen to kill him. Now the devil wanted to do the same to Paul. We also find the same unnatural screaming and shrieking. The second phrase of verse 28 said, they were full of wrath and cried out. Then the second phrase of verse 34 said, All with one voice, about the space of two hours, cried out. The term cried out is the same here as we looked at before. The unnatural, inarticulate cry of a raven. Not a human cry, a demonic shriek. That's what happened here. We have to know two things from these verses. First, wrath isn't a normal emotion. It's beyond excessive. It's in the realm of extreme emotion. And it's not natural to man. God has wrath. He's a God of wrath. But man's not designed to be wrathful. That's outside of our human constitution. The other thing to note here is the length of time they screamed. They screamed for two hours. Screaming for 15 minutes would have been excessive, let alone two hours. That's definitely not natural. No rational person would do that either. They'd get exhausted. They'd start to lose their voice. They'd become weary. But they had an unnatural level of endurance and strength. Because it wasn't their natural strength. It was demonic strength operating through them as the demons screamed and shrieked at Paul and the truth that he was speaking and standing on. These people weren't willing to reason things out. They didn't want to talk about what they were doing. They were acting off of impulse, demonic impulse. Alexander tried to reason. He wanted to make a defense. In the classic Amplified, it even says he was planning to apologize. But they wouldn't even let him speak a single word. They just proceeded to shout and shriek for two hours straight. That's what the devil does. He can't handle you speaking truth, so he desperately wants to shut you up, even if that means doing such ridiculous things as shouting for hours on end. The truth sets people free, so he wants to make sure that the people he has under his control don't hear truth. That's why he has them stop their ears and cry and shout. 
He keeps people in a state of confusion, disarray, and disorder. A perplexed, confused, lost person is far easier to control and far easier to mislead and manipulate. They're looking for anything they can grasp onto for stability, and when the devil offers them his counterfeit of it, they take his word, even though in the end, they're left far more confused than they ever were at first. 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 says, For God is not the offer of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God wants us to have peace, but the devil doesn't want you to have anything close to peace. He wants your hearts and minds ravaged by confusion, constantly in tumultuous upheaval. Hebrews 12 and 2 tells us, Looking unto Jesus, the offer and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. God isn't the offer of confusion, but he is the offer of our faith, which is why we can be in one accord together with our fellow believers in the unity of the faith. Even beyond confusion and perplexity, which are definitely of the enemy, we also find something else interesting in this passage. Verse 32 told us, Some therefore cried one thing, some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. This is incredibly revealing. They didn't even know why they were there. The Message Bible says, most of them had no idea what was going on or why they were there. This again isn't natural. There's nothing natural about not knowing where you're going or where you are, rushing violently with a mad crowd and then shrieking unnaturally for two hours. That's demonic. There's no way around that. And there's no other way to explain what happened there. So what exactly is the root of this? If the root of being in God we want accord is love, if that's the passion that underlies truly being united in faith and in spirit, what underlies this type of one accord? Verse 28 gave us the answer. It said, And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Wrath is the root. Wrathful intent. Wrathful purpose. Wrathful desire. The same way that God works his love through us to unite us, the devil works his wrath through people to unite them. Wrath is a spirit. It's not simply an emotion or a feeling. It's beyond that. It's deeper. Other versions of the Bible translate wrath as rage. The word in the Greek for wrath is one of the two root words for one accord. So we know that it is a direct correlation with being in one accord. It's defined as an outburst of passion and wrath. The concordance goes on to say that it means to rush along, getting heated up, breathing violently, passion-driven behavior, actions emerging out of strong impulses and intense emotion. It's expressed passion. When used to people, it indicates rage, personal venting of anger. It also means fierceness and indignation. That's what's behind it all. It's passion. Just like with God we want to court, but the passion is wrath. It's rage. It's anger. Anger isn't bad in and of itself. We're even told to be ye angry and sin not. But the problem is when we allow the anger to grow out of proportion, to become of an inordinate amount. That opens the door for envy, bitterness, hatred, and in extreme cases, wrath. That's because anger opens the door for the afflictions of the enemy, which then come for the means of first oppression of the mind and heart, and then if a person isn't saved, possession of a man's spirit. Wrath is a spirit that possesses people. That's how you find such irrational, unaccountable, ridiculous behavior in both cases. This isn't just something that's good to know in order to understand biblical history better, although that's definitely true. This is necessary for our own day. We're daily involved in spiritual warfare, 
battling spiritual realities, spiritual principalities and entities, and spiritual forces that are real, that are united, and that are powerful. We could water it down, we could sugarcoat it, we could lie to people and say that that's just old antiquated stories in a language. We can say that those were all metaphors and analogies, but that's not true. The devil's real, demons are real, and possession is real. And the sooner the church faces up to these facts, the sooner we can recover the power and authority that we foolishly ceded to the devil. The church is making the same mistake Adam made. Every day we cede a little bit more ground to the enemy, a little bit more authority. We do that when we let his influence on people continue unabated, giving no resistance of any kind. 2 Timothy 3 and 1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. In the Greek, the word perilous means hard, troublesome, hard to bear, harsh, fierce. It comes from a word that means to oppress. This is referring to demonically inspired insanity. And to further reinforce that point, we have to note that this word is only used twice in Scripture. Its only other use is Matthew 8 and 28, which is referring to the same demons that went into the herd of swine and ran violently into the water. It says, And when he was come to the other side, into the country of the Gergesons, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. Here it's translated as exceeding fierce. That's what we see all around us today. There's no love amongst people. They're not united in their faith. A passion for God isn't driving them. It's the opposite. People have wrath and rage in their hearts. They're united in anger, fueled by a passion to act on that anger. They exhibit all the same things that we find here. They act irrationally, unaccountably, and without any thought or concern. They act impulsively, act on feelings, act purely off emotions, which we know is a recipe for foolishness and even worse, for behavior that could be dangerous and injurious, both to the self and to others. This isn't natural. All that we see around us isn't natural. It's not natural to push people in front of subway cars. It's not natural to rob and to loot and to kill. It's not natural to burn and destroy businesses and homes. It's not rational to let criminals go free while law-abiding people are accosted by the government. It's not rational to open up your nation to strangers while you persecute your own people. It's not rational to openly lie and deceive your own people for the sake of money and power. That's demonic. That's the spirit of inversion, the spirit of confusion, the spirit of wrath and rage at work. We see it every day. The devil doesn't even hide it anymore. It's right in our face. A big reason for that is because the church has sat idly by on the sidelines while the devil brazenly stole our peace and security and gave us confusion and madness in its place. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5 to in the Message Bible say, Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderous, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust, and allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear, these people. This is what we face today. The devil has brought the people under his control into one accord, while the church falls into deeper and deeper division. Today is not the day for division. It's not the day for strife and dissension. It's a day that calls for unity, a day that calls for God's people to encourage themselves in the Lord and to encourage one another. We face threats today, but God hasn't left us without a means of recourse. He tells us exactly what to do in this situation. Acts 18 and 12 tells us, And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, 
The Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. This is the last example of the evil manifestation of being in one accord that we find in the book of Acts. But we find that something different happened this time around. We don't find the same result because Gallio did something that the others didn't. Verse 16 tells us, referring to Gallio, and he drave them from the judgment seat. The word drave is important. It's the only time this specific Greek word is used in the scripture. It has to do with driving out demonic powers in the Greek. That's what we do. That's how we push back against the enemy. We force him to leave. We don't passively resist, just waiting till he's done attacking us, hoping that he'll leave us alone, and praying that he'll leave of his own accord. We stand up. We stand on the word of God, and we expel him. We force him to leave. We drive him out. You may look at all that's going on in the world today and say, how could we ever make any difference? So much is wrong. There's so much confusion, so much rage, so much demonic activity. What could I, as one person, really accomplish? There's a lot we can do. Maybe we can't drive out the demons from the whole country or the whole world, but why don't we start where we can? We should drive them out of our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our communities. You may think, what if the devil tries to retaliate against me? We need to stand on the word of God. Luke 10 and 19 says, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You have the power today, not the enemy. And if we stay in one accord, united in the unity of the faith and the unity of the spirit, grounded in our love and in the word of God, we can't be harmed. When dealing with the demons of the herd of swine, Jesus showed us exactly what to do. The first phrase of verse 32 says, And he said unto them, Go. Just one simple word, go. Tell the devil to go today. Tell him to get out of our homes, get out of our schools, our jobs, our towns, get out of our country. The devil is not welcome here. Today we resist, and we command him to go in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let's close in prayer. Lord, today we thank you that you've given us power over all the power of the enemy. Lord, today we claim that promise in faith. And Lord, today we make it known that we resist the devil, we resist his influence, and we resist his plans and his purposes. Lord, today we rebuke him, and Lord, we cast him out. Lord, we thank you that it's your will for us to be in one accord with our fellow believers, united together in the unity of the faith and the unity of the Spirit, being bound together by our love for one another, and being bound together with one mind, your mind operating through us, and unified in one Spirit, your Holy Spirit indwelling us. Lord, we thank you that our power is found in our unity, that you're going to bring the church together again, that we're no longer going to be divided and separated and fighting amongst ourselves. Lord, we thank you for a new day, a new day of power, a new day of your Holy Spirit's outpouring upon people. And today we proclaim a day of liberty for the captives and the opening of the prison doors to them that are bound, a new day where the scales will fall from people's eyes and ears, and they'll see their need to come to you. They'll no longer be under the devil's control, but they'll be free to come to you and start a new life with you. Lord, today we thank you for all the healings, all the salvations, all the deliverances that are coming soon. And Lord, we thank you for what you're about to do. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to be in godly one accord and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. 
Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. Thank you for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you want even more of the Kingsword, you can go to our YouTube page at Kingsword Ministry, visit our TikTok page at Kingsword Bible, and our Instagram page at Kingsword Bible Study. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.